there you are. How you been? Great. Good. Great. How are you? I'm going to take that at face value. <laughs> yeah, so what was... I last spoke to you on August 13th. It's been a it's while. It's been a minute, as the kids say. And absence has made the heart grow fonder. <laughs> Indeed. I desperately missed chatting with you. Did not miss editing a podcast, but I very much missed checking in with you. Uh, well, now that you've had a break, you'll sure. be good for another year. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm excited to talk just in general because I missed you, but uh, I also saw good stuff. I didn't see all that much stuff, but we did both see Ready or Not, so we can talk about oh, that. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So we're in sync there. I hope I, I will see if we're in sync. So I can tell you about the other thing I saw, um, and then we can talk, we can dish about good. Ready or Not. First of all, I'm just so excited that after, you know, months and months of two-star uh, movies, disappointments, underwritten, undercooked movies that looked interesting and then were not, and then a couple of, you know, big prestigious movies, uh, I saw two really good, fun movies in one week. Nice. And the other one that I saw was Good Boys. You did? <laughs> I did. And it's fun. I'm not saying it's not. You know, of the two movies I saw, I definitely recommend Ready or Not more highly. But I, I knew going into Good Boys that if for it to work, it would have to be like sweet and good hearted. It couldn't just be like raunch with kids for its own sake. And it actually is a pretty sweet and cozy like the joke of the movie is that they're very innocent and they love each other and they're good friends and they want to do what's right as they're like stumbling into a very adult and insane adventure. But yeah, super bad with tweens. See, if that sounds I, interesting. It doesn't. And I not like I can say I'm boycotting that movie because I had no way to go see it or not. But when I saw the trailer, I was so put off by it. Because I feel like even if the characters are innocent, the actors aren't. Like I feel like the young actors are growing yeah, too yeah. fast. And like I hated Super Bad for the same reason. I felt like it was just raunch and shock, and they shouldn't be doing that. And also, I hate how Booksmart couldn't find an audience, and then this movie does great business. I feel yeah. like it's what's wrong with America. Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. That's fair. And you know what? In general, I really, am, I'm not a fan of kids being vulgar for laughs in movies. It always makes me uncomfortable and it doesn't really seem worth it. So I guess I had adjusted my expectations and then I was surprised. Um, there are still things in the movie that are dumb and seem indulgent. And why would you put kids through this ringer, you know? at all but i i really like the actors all three of them uh that the 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 big kid from last man on earth he's the steals the show he's hilarious i it, it's not for me and i didn't think i'd even see it but then i had a good time with it yeah well i don't begrudge anyone their good time at a movie and i'm sure the movie is very enjoyable and has a lot of laughs thank you for that concession dan i appreciate you making space <laughs> for me in my movie going experience it's very strange, the movies that I take moral issue with, Yeah, where I feel like I'm the evangelical of my upbringing, and right. all of a sudden, I'm like, this cannot stand. Right, right. Well, I, I have those spells as well. Why don't you talk a little bit about Ready or Not? 
we'll see if we had a similar experience with it. I thought Ready or Not was a lot of fun. I don't have it up in front of me to be able to say who is who, but it is a little bit horror. It's a little bit comedy. I think that it kind of reminded me of Clue in some ways. Yeah. That we're in this old, unreal, opulent house and there's been a wedding and this young woman who is entering the family her name is Samara Weaving, who gives a to me a glorious horror comic yes. performance. She niece seems of Hugo so, Weaving. That means nothing to me. Who's that? Okay, he is an actor. Oh, great! Well, she and she's quite beautiful too. I don't always uh, notice these things, but I felt that she was particularly striking, and I felt that she seemed very real and contemporary, very um, of the times in her uh, character before she has her. Uh, awakening to uh, protect herself. She draws the wrong card in an initiation game, which means that she has to spend the night being hunted by this maniacal family. To me, it was kind of an allegory of the rich who all understand they're doing terrible things, but they want to think of themselves as being good people and they like her as a person, but she, what she means in their midst is too threatening. She has to be done away with. I thought there were interesting themes of training your children in your same terrible ways and Mm -hmm. things seeming quite normal to kids that are in no way normal. And it goes bonkers. I thought it had a very satisfying finish. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how it was going to end, but it was, it was crazy and fun and uh, certainly bloody. And I had a great time at ready or not. Me too. I thought it was a blast. I got over my, I kind of got over my, you know, I have a scary movie thing and I decided, well, this is going to be more fun than it is scary. And it turned out to be the case. Um, uh, I have to take my tickets already for it chapter two next week. So I'm really going for it. But anyway, uh, yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. And yeah, nice like uh, allegory about, well, it's not an allegory because they're actually rich people. So the rich people people who don't want to give up, you know, their means and are willing to justify unspeakable things uh, in service of just maintaining the status quo. And I felt like all of the terrible rich people were actually quite likable. Like Annie McDowell, by the way, where's she been? Yeah. But right. I was so happy to see her in this part. And the kind of the silly brother-in-law, I liked him. And yeah. the and the sister-in-law, I, I liked all. The, I liked the whole family, frankly. You oh, know, no, that's uh, Christian Brune. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 I thought that they're in an impossible situation that they're putting themselves through and they're acting like real people. Imagine if you were just handed a medieval weapon and told to run through a house and kill someone and you really felt that you had to, I wouldn't know what to do with any of them, with any of the weapons. And I thought that it was very, very true to life in, in that twisted way. And I uh, and I liked her character, how she rose to the occasion and asserted herself. I liked how it had themes without ever pausing to be preachy or or on too on the nose. I almost this is going to approach spoiler territory. Part of me didn't want the 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 supernatural element of the story to be real because mm. it makes the the themes work better if it's not because the I feel like a lot of the the, the rich people wreaking havoc in the real world are doing it on the foundation of traditions and ideas that you know are are actually bullshit um but i also understood how to for the movie to be satisfying it kind of had to to pull that at the very end oh yeah i think that if it comes to mythology regarding 
a certain religion or politic where there are fear tactics in order to keep control. There's part of it that the story isn't true, but there's also a part that is true that in order for the rich to survive, they need the poor, right? Because that's the only way that they got all their money is through the service of all of these workers. And if, and I felt like her refusal to go away kind of was their demise. Yeah. And I kind of love how she was able to laugh at them right. <laughs> as they met their terrible fate. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that was cathartic probably for most of the audience. Yes. And a real nice, tight 90 minutes. Um, yes. It hit all the beats. It was a very enjoyable experience. Yeah, really only one horror sequence um, in the barn. I felt that that was Mm -hmm. truly grotesque and sickening and almost too much for me. Yeah. Um, But the rest is just a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, real nice surprise. Uh, Again, I've been so burdened down by the mediocre movies this year. It's so so true. It's nice to see something that's not necessarily four stars, top 10. Maybe it is. I don't know. I really liked it, but just a good time, you know, a solid three star recommendation, something that is, that's a great version of what it wants to be. Totally. I mean, if I had to choose so far, my favorite 10 movies, I probably would put this one on the list, though we're only halfway through the year. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, I did kind of like a Tarantino rewatch. I suppose it's been enough weeks that maybe that fell into that. Um, I rewatched Inglorious Bastards, and I watched uh, Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. And I'm sure I saw Jackie Brown back in the day, but I had zero recollection of that movie. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think it may be his best uh, in terms of holding up. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, I liked Inglorious Bastards at the time. I still like it. I was kind of inspired by everyone who was making their you know top Tarantino lists basically to virtue signal where they wanted to place once upon a time in Hollywood. And so I thought to myself, you know, there's some of these that I've never seen and some that I haven't seen in a long time, barely remember what happens. And I had a lot of time alone at home, I guess. And so I just went ahead and streamed a bunch of them. I need to have them all laid out right there. I know it does. You know, well, tell you what it doesn't have is kill bill. Because oh. that's what—that's the last one. That's the last piece. Yeah, I've been thinking about just for even before Once Upon a Time came out, I was thinking about revisiting that just for the fun of it. See how that, see how that goes. Yeah, we should, we I remember with that. Jackie Brown that it had the un—it came right after Pulp Fiction. Is that correct? It was like two years after Pulp and Fiction, I, and there was that very unfair level of expectation. And I remember being disappointed, and it took time to realize what a special, great movie that is. Yeah, I think Pulp Fiction, I mean, certainly it was more culturally significant in um, its contribution to the greater life of American film, certainly. When it comes down to it, though, I like Jackie Brown a lot better, and I would call it the stronger movie. I remembered that I did see something, and we already chatted about it before you went away, I think, but I did watch, um, I streamed Dragged Across Concrete. Oh, I don't think uh, that. Did we talk about it? I have zero. We talked about it on Justin Jerry. It was the one that has Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson. Oh, that's just where I'm a bad person and I don't remember okay. things people tell <laughs> yeah. me. You um, as well, also as soon as I told you Mel Gibson was in it, your response was "Good luck with that." <laughs> that sounds like me. Yeah. Uh, it's a well. It's it's by this director who I've been very uh, interested in. Uh, fairly new career. S. Craig Zoller is his name. He made Bone Tomahawk. 
and uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99, both of which I enjoyed very much. He makes very brutal genre movies with lots of violence and hardness and whatever. But this new one, um, it's a good crime movie. He's, he's, He's still, he's a very excellent director, but some of the themes and then the enhancement of those themes by casting Mel Gibson. Basically, it's about two cops who are caught on viral video abusing a Latino uh, perpetrator and uh, how they get suspended. And there's all kinds of posturing and conversations about political correctness and you can't do anything these days. And like the, the, the EPK material, the interviews and the behind the scenes stuff has the director talking about, you know, these aren't necessarily people that you're going to like. These are difficult themes, but gosh, when you cast Mel Gibson, it just ends up feeling like, and even Vince Vaughn, who is, you know, speaking at Liberty U's uh, commencement, I guess both of them did together. God. I don't know, it just felt to me like these were like his movies always have like ugliness that's meant to make the story more intense. Like you make a crime story more intense by being more violent or more brutal or having the characters be really complicated. But in this case, I would have rather seen actors playing roles that I didn't imagine they were secretly into. Um, right. So, again, right. you know, All right. it, it's, uh, I'm still interested to see what this guy does. I just felt like this one for me, um, the casting was a real misstep. Right. I mean, I'll probably miss this one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else or do we want to take our break? Uh, I think it's time for a break. Okay. We'll be back uh, to talk about Ghost World. Spooky. a movie didn't we sure enough did i will get us started since this was my selection but i'm very interested to hear your thoughts because i think this is your first time seeing this one it is uh ghost world is a 2001 offbeat comedy film i'm doing this dance style directed by (laughs) terry zweigoff written and based on graphic novels by daniel klaus uh I looked up that pronunciation. I always mm. wondered what it was. It stars Thora Birch, fresh off American Beauty, and Scarlett Johansson. I was shocked. Yeah. By which one? <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Pre-Man Who Wasn't There? Post, maybe. That I couldn't tell you. Yeah. As Enid and Rebecca, two girls graduating high school as the film begins, um, and for whom the world is almost unbearably banal and stupid from fake blues bands to fake 50s diners to their lame wad neighbors and classmates the movie constructs a world of cynicism and compromise where enid and rebecca feel like the only people who get it and as a prank they answer a personal ad placed by seymour played by steve buscemi a um, cynical and nerdy record collector. And when Enid sees how pathetic and odd he is, she feels bad and befriends him. Meanwhile, she's taking a summer art class taught by the pretentious Roberta, played by Ileana Douglas, another oddball adult. She also has a mousy father. Um, 
and his um, <laughs> who is played father. by Bob Balaban, and his returning girlfriend played by Terry Gar. I forgot her name. She has a great, perfect name. That I Maxine. Forgot. Maxine. There you go. There's not much of a plot, just these various strands, but Enid and Rebecca, they are, they are basically wrestling with the pressures of young adult life in different ways that um, test their friendship. And ultimately, Enid has to wrestle with her place in the world, the ghost world, which I have more to say about, Dan. But f- before that, what has your experience been with Ghost World up to this very moment? So I was very aware that this movie existed. I remember when it came out, it was it got a little attention and I wanted to see it and it just never made it to the top of my roster. And then it was out on video and I multiple times I remember thinking, oh, I should get Ghost World, but then I didn't. And so to this day, it has been in the back of my mind that one day I need to watch Ghost World and you gave me that opportunity. So for that, I'm grateful. It isn't what I thought it was going to be. For some reason, I had in mind that it has something to do with going into an abandoned amusement park. Is that another movie? I think that's Adventureland. Huh. But for some reason, I thought it was this one. Hmm. And I didn't know that Scarlett Johansson was in it. Boy, did her career take a different (laughs) track from Thora Birch. Um, I I saw the name Brad Renfro and I thought, huh, he used to be in a lot of stuff. Whatever happened to him? That was a sad Google search. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) That suddenly came back to me. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I have no clue what it was about and I don't know what the title is about. And I kind of don't like Enid's outlook. I don't like the cynicism. I get that cynicism is for discomfort and anxiety and a defense mechanism that people will show outwardly. So you experience that cynicism from other people, but when you actually get to know them, or if you get to see their inner life between someone that they know well, like these two friends, you'd expect that to go away when they feel comfortable and they're alone together, but it never does. And I found that to be a little bit tiring. Not that it made me not like the movie, but I thought, does this ring true for the characters? Um, when I was reading Ebert's review of it, he just sort of went with that outlook. He seemed to think that's the way the world is, that it is absurd. And the people who are too smart for it just sit on the sidelines and judge it and criticize it. And good for these girls for being so smart and true to themselves. Right. And I, I kind of didn't like that because even though they showed shreds of humanity, you know, she feels sorry for Steve Buscemi and she tries to help him. And sabotage really, is the only good healthy right, relationship you might ever have. Right. And she, but she's actually not a good person mm-hmm. a, at all. I, I didn't feel. And so I held that tension. You know, Rebecca is trying to move on and be a young adult with a job and have an apartment and live her life. And Thora Birch's character is pretty stuck. And I thought maybe that's the point of the movie that. We'll talk more about the title, I suppose, and about themes and things that happen, particularly the final scene. But where she's dressing as out of another era, she doesn't um, work in this world. She doesn't operate well here. It wasn't made for her. And so what hope is there for her in this world Yeah, it is what I took away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... so. 
I agree. And it's interesting that you're seeing it only now from, from this stage in life, because I have a very different take on it now. I still enjoy it and appreciate it very much because I think it's excellently made. And I think that it um, is written from a very specific place and it's directed very skillfully. And it's just, it's a singular kind of movie. But I, all, I had a very different take on the themes and the characters this time. You know, 20 years ago, uh, I went in hard for this movie uh, to the point where have you seen ghost world is something that my buddy Brian uh, still will throw at me to remind me how annoying I can be um, because I just hounded him to see this movie. And then he finally saw it and was like, yeah, all right, thanks. Um, there, there are two things that I responded to about this movie. One is that I just think it's a good movie and it's funny and, and I, I, I like it as a, as a film, but I also identified with the characters, with the girls, because I, hung out with girls like that. I, I I don't know if I had that perspective myself, but I feel like I was adjacent to it at that kind of an age. This is a little late to be my kind of a high school era, but I still it resonated with me. And I also would frequently be infatuated with girls, just like Enid and Rebecca when I was in school. Um, so it just kind of had me, you know, that in that way. And then it created the other thing I, I really like about this movie that I still like about this movie is just how specific the world it creates is. I'll maybe say a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, as far as the characters, now that I'm older, I find I'm a lot more judgmental of them. And I do think that Enid is a very troubled person. Oh, and you mentioned Ebert's review. I feel like that's what the movie was to me back then was this, this peculiar girl's take on the world and she just doesn't fit in the world and the world's so kooky through her eyes. And I noticed this time that, yeah, the movie kind of starts out that way and you feel like you're seeing the world from their perspective and everybody's dumb and everything is lame. Um, but then as time goes on and Rebecca starts to actually find some modicum of responsibility and find her life and, and they, they, opportunities arise and things happen i noticed that the world keeps being insane and dumb so i kind of feel like dan Klaus, like his i feel like it's his his take on the world um i don't know what giant point i'm trying to make other than that i had never really paid attention to the world i had always kind of focused on the protagonist perspective when i watched the movie and this time i saw it more as as a world building kind of a thing and i have more to say about what i think ghost world means but i'm gonna uh throw to you for more thoughts yeah i think the world is the main character of the movie it's stylized and it's heightened and it's also incredibly recognizable there were moments where i just felt pained to see the establishing shot yeah and I've I've been in those places like for me that was still high school era or you know I was just out at that time and just the way someone did their hair in this scene or that kind of a shirt that you couldn't wear today why exactly because it's just wrong but it was right back then it right. it takes me back to a time for sure and I felt that they were um, that the world was oppressive and restrictive and ridiculous. The characters that you encounter are absurd. I get that. At the same time, the um, Enid's response is often to be so mean-spirited, and it didn't even seem like it was a defense mechanism some of the time. I felt she had a connection with Seymour that was legitimate. What was that about, though? Because she's a senior in high school, they sidestep any criminality in their in their relationship and pairing. 
but the any morality though but yeah. between the two of them what was he doing hanging out with this teen girl what was that about for him what was it about for her it's just like she just kept making mistake after mistake in the third act and having no clue who to be or where to go and she gets a job she loses a job she has a falling out with the friend oh she gets back with the friend oh she's going to ditch the friend I, I found I found her her presence by the end exhausting, and yeah, you're right that it's half her choices and it's half the world that she exists in. One of the things that that you've tried to do, Dan, in the past when we talk about movies, and I appreciate it, and I try to do the same thing, is to place the movie culturally and you know historically. Mm-hmm. And I feel like to my the best of my interpretation, I feel like Ghost World is what we now might refer to as late stage capitalism, that it's this kind of post millennium, but in this case, pre-internet. And I think that's also important to the, what's going on in this movie Mm -hmm. that, um, these kids have, are, have a very modern upbringing where they're promised the world is your oyster. You could be anything you want to be. And, and they don't have narrow roles being projected on them. Like they might have a couple generations previous, but they also are offered, a stupid shitty world like you know the, the parent like her her father is so afraid of ruffling her feathers or or pushing her and he kind of just lets her roam but then the world around her is just strip malls and blues hammer and just like banality and mediocrity and some of that i think is because the deck has been stacked by dan Klaus, you know creating this world making a point i don't think that the world the real world is necessarily that hopeless um although it's 2019 so i don't know but to me that i felt like they're kind of trapped in this world where they don't yet have the internet and in fact i, I gotta say even on the criterion uh commentary with klaus and Z- zweigoff one of them actually makes the comment over the end credits that this you know the world will change a lot for rebecca and enid when the internet comes around because they don't feel like they belong. They don't feel like they have anything to connect to. And they're kind of let loose to create identity and and forge a life for themselves. But they haven't yet discovered, you know, like-minded people or creative possibilities that the internet enables. Um, so anyway, that's my take on, on Ghost World. Maybe not. Maybe Ghost World has more to do with the mystery of what the ending means. But. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, 2001, there was internet yes. I mean, right like right there it was pre-smartphone and pre being so like internet computer centric um it, it's that's a good point though that neither of the young women seem to have any concept of a world outside of their own if you don't like the town of your upbringing have you no hope of getting out or going somewhere else that might be a little bit more sincere or to your liking it doesn't seem so mm-hmm. um when I was thinking of the title, I saw Enid as just sort of trapped in a world that had moved on without her, sort of like the Langoliers or something, mm-hmm. where you're you're stuck in this version of the world and everybody around you seems to be evolving and moving forward and you're not part of that story. And we can talk about the ending and what that meant because you could certainly take it to a place of that representing her own suicide perhaps. Yeah. Or did she get out? It, that was it actually like, my take. Um, it's very different from Ebert's take. He, he sees it as a happy ending. 
Oh, I don't. Yeah. I think that she had that monologue about dreaming about just disappearing and being gone one day. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what she did. And she talked about, you know, wearing clothes out of other eras and sort of being an old lady, this or that. And that's how she walks to that bus to nowhere mm-hmm. is wearing clothes out of another era with an old fashioned suitcase and maybe being someone who's of a time that either doesn't exist anymore or won't exist yet. Yeah. Sort of being born in the wrong time. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of portents in this movie. There's uh, there's obvious ones like the old man on the bus bench and you could, you know, she kind of follows his lead um, in, in maybe ceasing to exist. Um, but there, I, I also feel like the, the grownups in the movie represent possible futures for Enid. Like um, Seymour is this kind of closed off misanthropic weirdo, although even he manages to to find a meaningful relationship. I didn't know if it was that meaningful. Like it was a possibility. Right. Well, it was compromised kind of weird and she didn't yeah. get it, but it was something. It was something, you know. Right. Uh, and or or the the art teacher who is completely full of herself and yet she seems to be fulfilled by what she does, even though she's a comedic character and and kind of a person that we like to make fun of. She's surrounded by people who manage to exist in ghost world somehow or in the the real world somehow um, while she is not. And there are the themes. There's the theme of the chicken restaurant that I thought was an interesting thing for them to bring in because they don't really deal with that legacy of racism that that restaurant represented i wasn't sure what enid's own take on it was it seemed almost cynical that she felt that she could take a poster and present it as a piece of found art and get credit for something that she put no effort into based on some statement and it's the first thing Um, the teacher responds to right and that sort of a thing is a representation of this restaurant that had a completely you know racist conceit to it in this story continuing on with a rebranding but the foundation is the same but nobody knows the history yeah and to me there there's um flashes of the idea of a ghost world there that this restaurant that is now famous as what would they call it cook's chicken or something today just behind just under the surface is this really upsetting imagery and history And I was interested to see that that actually was a chicken restaurant in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. There was one in Seattle. Oh, wow. um, And it did not go on to be Cook's Chicken. When it became uh, societally unacceptable, the chain just closed. Hmm. And most of them were demolished. But that that ad is real from that restaurant. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's a strange thing to throw in the mix. I mean... I think that it's it's implied pretty obviously that this is horrifying and that it's a it, it becomes an object of of maybe morbid curiosity for her but they don't kind of they don't make it explicit. But that's also I don't know if this is a, exactly along those lines but another thing that really resonates with me about these girls and their little the little world they create together is the kind of fetishization of uh of found objects and weird objects and things that are not cool. You know like drawing strangers and saying they're Satanists and following them around or just liking. I just, I just remember so much that culture, that high school culture of the weirdo girls, girls in particular 
who liked things that were cheesy, who liked things that were ugly. Yeah, I, I wish I could have understood that a bit more because that is too much of a of a jolting image and theme to bring up without it having some purpose or significance yeah. to the storytelling. It didn't seem to have that much significance to Enid, though. Yeah, There's this whole thing of, oh, it gets taken down at the art show that she couldn't even bother to attend. And is this censorship? I don't really think it's censorship. It wasn't even her work. What, what was she trying to communicate? She, to me, she never had a compelling story behind right. that. And then because of that, she gets this failing grade and now she's not a high school graduate and her one opportunity to go to art school is now lost. And then we're supposed to feel bad for her? She put in no effort to that project. Yeah, yeah I, I think it, it might be a virtue and a, a, a problem in this movie that it does not follow typical dramatical style beats. You know, that it's not melodramatic, that it's not triumphant, or that it's not even outwardly tragic. Things just happen. And that, I mean, that kind of makes sense given that sensibility of Klaus's uh, work. Um, it's just weird to see it translated to a film. Because I think it's a very good script. I think that it feels specific and it feels like it's what they want it to be. But it doesn't spoon feed you any of the kind of beats and rhythms that you expect and kind of want. It does have an ending that is an ending and leaves you thinking. At the same time, I, I wish that this movie spelled out some a little more meaning for us. Yeah, I mean, things just happen. It's very postmodern in that way where th there's just absurdity event to event and it doesn't hold together in a lot of ways. And Enid just ends up with less and less options as the as the film goes on. Because at the beginning, there, you know, she's she has the option to live at home and she has the option to move in with Rebecca. And as this relationship develops with Seymour, oh, maybe we would end up sharing living space. And then she destroys each of those possibilities yeah. one by one. I know this can't work, and it's not that I so much want this other one. It's that I now have one less option, and there's a certain desperation in her actions as the movie goes on until, to me, she has no options, she has no future, and she gets on the bus and disappears. Yeah, and I feel like her character's perspective is that this is all pretty chaotic and random, and she's just feeling her way through every moment. I don't know if the storytelling finds her to be somehow ironically heroic in that she refuses to play along with, you know, with the world's game. Um, there's still something weirdly romantic about it at the same time. I, I found the storytelling to be pretty neutral that they were showing her just as she is. I, I didn't feel led to feel one way or another about her from the movie. Mm -hmm. I should also mention before I forget to mention that Will Forte is in the sex shop in this movie. That's what I thought too. Yeah, I think that's him. Was that him? There's there's internet stuff, but it's all people saying they think that's him. Right. I don't remember when, if he's in the credit. when I, there was that shot to that person we're both talking about. I was like, is that Will right. Forte? Well, I guess one thing I did want to mention is that uh, I, I already said it, but I wanted to get more specific about it. That I really do love the specificity of this of this world and from the graduation rap to the the pop music that's playing in the 50s <laughs> diner to yes. the film that roberta made that she shows people to tell them everything about like it's really really good when it's creating little examples of horrifying 
culture. Yeah, it gets the you know late '90s, early 2000s dead on, and I, I think it's they didn't know that they were living in a pre 9/11 world, but they were you know at the final in the final moments of being a pre 9/11 film, mm-hmm. and I wonder had this been made a year later, what difference that would have made to the outlook of the of the writing. Yeah, and I guess the um, my age is one aspect of it, but it's also that the world was a completely different place when this movie came out. Yeah, and it felt kind it of really self-contained and kind of perfect at the time. And now it looks a little bit like an artifact. Yeah, now that is our ghost world, but they had no way of knowing that. Yeah, uh, do you think this movie holds up, Dan? Oh, totally. I mean, I didn't see it back then to really be able to compare. But I, and I probably enjoyed it more today than I would have had I watched it when it first came out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always connected to that, my kind of fervor for it back in the day. And so I'll always have a special place for it. And I, I was not disappointed revisiting it like I have been with some titles, although I have a much more nuanced uh, response to it. Uh, no, I, I, dare, I, dare, I dare say it's probably my favorite of uh, ones you've chosen. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Zweigoff is an interesting director worth checking out his, his filmography. Started with the um, documentary Crumb about R. Crumb, the cartoonist. Mm-hmm. And then kind of surprised people by moving to this and then followed up with uh, Bad Santa and Art School Confidential. I think this is by far his best movie, but there's a lot of interesting things in there. All right, Dan, um, welcome back. It's fun to talk to you about movies again. It has been fun. I've missed this. This has been our podcast. We are uh, Josh and Dan. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. And uh, the show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Please give it a follow. And our music is by Jonah Rapino. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll check you out next time. Um, I, on Thursday night, I'm going to see The Matrix, 20th anniversary. Wow. Oh, speaking of 20 years, yes. can you believe that it was 20 years ago? this august that i brought myself up to nyack wow fall of 99 oh yeah yeah so we've known each other like 20 years wow uh what a journey it's been dan (laughs) mostly good very little very little of it regrettable yeah Well, I guess that's been our podcast, everybody. I'm Dan. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I lost myself. If I don't have the copy, I forget who I am.